Hello and welcome to the Pioneers of the Great Awakening. We have a wonderful guest today, Jesse Chestnut, and he's going to show share with us his wonderful story of change and how he got to the Gene Keys and become a part of the team that are making this amazing system reach the entire world. His name is Jesse Chestnut and he is a Gene Keys guide and works on the media and guides teams for Jinkies LTV, creating content for the Jinkies Pulse newsletter and all social media channels. He hosts two rooms for Jinkies on Clubhouse, Jinkies and Parenting and the Weekly Pulse. He is also on the board of directors of the Majesty Foundation, a charity using an embodiment of the Jinkies approach to advance mental health, health through storytelling, art and healing trauma. Jesse's expression and understanding of the gene keys has grown out of 24 years of study with the I Ching, transpersonal psychology, and sacred geometry. Welcome. Welcome to the pioneers of the Great Awakening, Jesse. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm looking it's forward. a pleasure to have you join us. So tell us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know about. Hmm. Um... Well, I love to study and to read and to explore knowledge. You can see uh, my bookshelf um, is one of my prized possessions. And um, that's something that is a very private part of my reality, right? It's like uh, people don't see me reading books or studying and things like that. It's something that I've had um, just a long history of, of d diving deep into contemplations and into all sorts of, um, you know, occult history and philosophy and um, fantastic physics and, you know, even uh, all sorts of channeled information and spiritual contexts. Really love, um, you know, weaving the threads of, of history and humanity and consciousness and psychology. And, uh, you know, I think that's where, uh, why I take so uh, well into the gene keys is because it's this synthesis of so many threads woven together and it really feels like home um, from all of the studies that I've done from the many different fields and I just really love uh, synthesizing things drawing from a wide base of influences into one thing and you know it, oftentimes in my life I don't get an opportunity to really bring these interests in you know, in, in social settings or things like that, but um, uh, really just honor um, the, the many traditions, the many ways that um, we have of understanding the world. So. so what would be the most exotic, obscure book you have in that library? Wow. Um, I have, I have some, some pretty good ones, some gems that are um, hidden and rare. I have uh, one of Timothy Leary's earliest um, psychedelic prayers books. That's the original pressing. And it's probably the most valuable book I have. Um, I have, honestly, my own writing has been one of my most cherished and valuable things. I've, um, you know, whether it's creative writing or, or synthesizing data or channeling, like there's this meeting in the middle there of, of really having some powerful ideas come through that are honestly some of the most treasured and cherished things that I hold dear to my heart. And I have a whole shelf that's just all 
my journals and my words. And it's, um, you know, taken me through important uh, periods of transition and awakening in my life um, from the, you know, the, the depths of like kind of wandering towards psychosis and being like, whoa, everything is everything okay, you know, to then the pieces coming together and having these great insights and, and real spiritual um, ahas or, or clarity, you know, a lot of those are, are written in those books. Um, so I, I really, if I had a fire and the whole thing burnt, those would be the ones that are irreplaceable to me. Um, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Mm -hmm. So what was your fork in the road in your life? The main thing that triggered your shift that ended up bringing you here where you are now? It's interesting. You know, honestly, there have been many, but I would say that a really foundational thing for me was my parents splitting up when I was one year old or something like that. You know, like my, my home life was kind of fractured. And so there was very early on this fork in the road where my notion of, of wholeness of, of mom and dad and balance and love and safety was kind of fractured. And I really do think that that had an early impact on myself where I had two homes that I had to navigate and I had two very different environments that I had to navigate. And it, it really is a metaphor for me of my life. I've been a, a traveler that um, really had to be very self-sustained and I've always thought for myself and tried to see clearly, not just accept people's stories of how things are, but to really be like hypersensitive and really look into um, the world and, and make my own understanding from that. And, you know, there was some trauma there. And so there was definitely some shadows early on. I didn't have the luxury of waiting until my 20s or 30s to think about therapy or shadow work or self-help. I had to get on that page right out the gate, you know, and I had to deal with my dad issues and my mom issues and my world issues, you know, like um, at a very early age. And so there've been many forks in my path, but they're all kind of echoes and reverberations of this original kind of fracturing that honestly, you know, for a period of time, I questioned why, why did I get, why did I incarnate into this particular situation. And now I, it just is what it is. These were the triggers that forced me onto the path of self-knowledge, of healing, of shadow work, of bearing the weight uh, of my ancestry and my genetic karma. Like all of that in many ways was started at a young age from, from the, the fracturing of my kind of safe um, family life. I know exactly what you mean. My parents were divorced too, and uh, they divorced when I was like probably five years old, four years old. It was just a trip, you know. My mom just, you know, one day packed everything on the moving truck and then took off, and my dad came to the house to just find the the TV and the and the the, 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 the bed, you know, and we disappeared, you know. So it was like, you know, I didn't see, see my dad for years. I ended up living with my grandma. So all of these things are very, very. Um, you know, it was a trip. I mean, and you look back and there's been this generation, at least our generation, I think, is when we really started experiencing a lot of uh, divorce. 
Before that, uh, um, you know, it wasn't a thing. And so we, a lot of us, I think, Star Wars people like us, you know, <laughs> we've <laughs> we definitely got to, got to, a lot of us, we got to this 80s uh, people, what Generation X, no, right? <clears throat> and, well, now it's another whole other story, not right now. But what was your worst moment in your life, you know, the worst, the worst in your entire life? The, the deepest of the darkest, when we know we got the hero's journey and it goes to that, the, the, everything just, hope is gone, you know, and, and, and you know, you're like, Fuck. Yeah, yeah. What was it? So, um, my parents had been split up for a while. I was eight years old. My mom decided to li leave where we were growing up. And we, she moved us to Seattle to go to art school for herself. So we kind of left everyone. It's the first time I, I didn't move a house or like a neighborhood. I moved completely, you know, and we went from a small town in Park City, Utah, a ski mecca to um, city. West Seattle, the ghetto of West Seattle. I mean, hardcore change. And I was in second grade. And it, in the long run, it was really powerful for me because, um, you know, Utah has a lot of the Mormons around and it's very something now Park City is a kind of a liberal pocket in there or like a party town or it kind of escapes some of the blanket of Mormonism and, and homogenous culture. But regardless, it was you know, pretty white, pretty affluent ski town kind of vibe. And then we went to Seattle and, oh man, like I was by far the minority there and was in a, I think there were 33 people in my second grade class, like just packed into so many people from around the world and like kind of a ghetto situation, you know, like not a ton of money, for us and and in that whole community and during that time it was a real time of growth and change and stretch like i was just forced into a completely new world that i think actually served me greatly in the long run but while i was in seattle i had a couple really rough experiences my bike was stolen and like they left the handlebars and like it was like that first time I felt like really unsafe that people were out there to get me. And, um, you know, and so I, I started becoming like a little afraid. I had to walk almost a mile to school and, and it was just like navigating through some like unsafe zones. Um, and so there were three main events. There was the bike getting stolen that kind of put me on edge and really made me afraid of teenagers, like afraid of like older people that, that were out to get me in a way. Um, I ended up developing like a, um, a hernia. Like I had this weird kind of thing and I ended up having surgery during this time. And that was, a, a, again, this, this really challenging thing where my body was kind of failing and I had to go to the doctor and be pulled out of school. And during that time, my father came to visit and he was an alcoholic at the time, uh, really deep in the throes of alcoholism. And um, he just totally lost it. It was like, it was like 
the fracturing, you know, the family had already split up and gone their different ways. But for this surgery, he came back into town and he had no capacity to be present, to be the father that this young boy needed. And instead he just drank and said all this stuff to my mother. And it was like really the most tangible fracturing that I've, I've, I've ever felt. And we were kind of stuck in this pattern. And this, this was, you know, in the gene keys, this is the development of the puberty age and this EQ situation. And it was this kind of protracted long experience that really was based off of like the loss of innocence in many ways um, through, you know, kind of living in a rough space. So then the final one that really was the the topper, um, my best friend at the time, we walked in and his sister was addicted to heroin as a freshman in high school and tried to kill herself. And so we walked into like a trail of blood and like the whole suicide thing as a, I don't even know how old I was, eight, nine, 10. I don't even know how old you are in, in second grade, but this, this made for like this really condensed traumatic experience for me that I really had to, to pick my way through for years after that. And um, that, that probably was the earliest, like, darkest, um, you know, um, expression that I really had to work through multiple layers of, of the loss of innocence. So, wow. So what, what lesson, what lesson did you learn out of this experience? What, what came out of how did Jesse became Jesse? Mm. Beautiful question. I mean, at the time I received a lot of trauma about not trusting in myself right? And not trusting in the world. And it was, um, I was pretty scared as a, as a 10, 12, 13 year old. Um, you know, so for this next five years, like as I was changing schools and we moved to a different place, I still was feeling a lot of the impressions from these traumas. And in the long run, it really, it, it reminds me of like, in order to become a shaman, you must die and then rebuild yourself up, you know, and, and not to make it too grand because I was just a child, but I really did have this innocent part of myself be stolen and abused and traumatized in this way that eventually made me have to okay, we need to go back in time and look at all of these things and get them up, get them out, grieve for them, and then heal and move forward from that. And I think if I didn't have such heavy traumas that forced me to look at them, I may have just skated through a little bit and not really have gone and, and had to go deeper and had to face some of the the really painful and traumatic things and so it's it's given me the idea that oftentimes we our soul calls to us traumatic events so that we have to look and we have to heal and we have to you know transmute the pain into a treasure you know into something valuable and strong and i feel stronger now than i would have without having to face all of that darkness and shadow and pain but that that realization came more much after it wasn't right there. Was it right there that you realized I have to look into this stuff? 
Um, no, I was, like I said, I was pretty terrified. You know what I mean? I was scared of, um, teenagers or older people for a long time because they, you know, they stole that bike and it doesn't make any sense. Like, no, it makes the bike getting stolen, but like, I got the fear, right? The fear came inside and I did not know what to do with it. And then my father's reactions deepened the fear and then seeing like this death or this, um, you know, these other traumatic things, it just was like, the fear really came inside. And in, in that process, there, there isn't a lot of bright light or, um, joy or catharsis. Like for me, at least there was like this longer period of kind of, um, struggle to move through it, but yeah, it was more in my teenage years when I, um, started to really develop my personality and develop who I was. I wasn't willing to accept that I was just a broken, you know, kid that didn't have anything. I was like, okay, like I can't live my life in fear. So let's start looking at fear. And through that, I was like, you know, wow. When I look at it and stop running from it, it disappears. And I like the power that I was running away from now is like filling me and I'm like emboldened and now I'm not afraid of anything, you know? And so you're right. It it wasn't something that happened in that time, but looking back, I can see that that's why the tree of my life started growing the the way that it was. And so that really triggered your, your search first, first for, for God, for, 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 for answers. And that's, that's what started your journey. So you started reading and that kind of stuff, or what, what kind of stuff did you dive into first, kind of like around that time when you were looking for answers? Mm. What was the first thing that kind of came out? You know, I feel really blessed. My, my godmother um, is an intuitive um, and a channel and a psychic and was connected to um, the Native American um, sacred dances and rituals and um, prayers and, and um, like whole ceremonies um, when they first, uh, this was now, I think two or three decades ago, but they, they opened one of the, um, it's called the Naraya. It was this part of this group of the, I think it was the Cheyenne. They opened up and it was this time part of their kind of prophecy that in the future, you know, this sacred dance that has only been for our culture will be opened to um, the world, to the rainbow races, you know, to, to all people, even the the white Wetiko kind of uh, oppressors, you know. And so she was one of the early people who was introduced into this. And she was kind of a, a really powerful fairy godmother vibe um, to lead me down some of these paths that have become so crucial to my understanding of life and healing and self-understanding. And so one of them was the Native American way. Um, uh, another would be channeling and psychic uh, notions, connecting to higher intelligences and to connecting to spirits. And, you know, that's very weird to a Western young boy, but seeing her do it and and feeling the truth of it, you know, I wouldn't have gone out and had a psychic reading, but when someone came and told me what they saw in my field, I was like, whoa, how did they know that? I'm going to start exploring that. And that opened the doors of, of possibility and in, inside my consciousness 
to seek and find the realms of light, the realms of spirit, as, as well as be able to like do some exorcism of my father's demons and shadows and the pains and the, the shadows that I had carried subconsciously for my life. And so, yeah, I really think that, um, you know, she introduced me to a lot of the early books and, you know, from the Seth channeled stuff to um, the Celestine prophecy. I think I read it like 13 or 14, you know, I was like pretty young kid, which now looking back, like some of the writing was a little cheesy maybe, <laughs> but hidden in there are some real potent gems of energy and consciousness and everything is connected and look deeper and manifest and law of attraction and celestial realms and the great awakening and all of these things like are hidden in these Peruvian tenets kind of in this cheesy, you know, packaged model, but it really gave me the opportunity to live those. And I think that that's, probably one of my favorite things is I don't like to read things and then just leave them static on the page or store them in my brain. I take them in and own them and live them and digest them and then can speak them in my own words, you know? And I think that that's truly um, what learning really should be rather than like rote repetition in school if you can ignite the fire and passion of learning and owning and embodying, boom, like the light, life is your library. Life is your um, oracle. And there's just a lot of beauty there. Absolutely. I remember I was 16 when I read the Celestine Prophecy. So, so your journey got started earlier through your you know, teenage years and then it just kept going, kept going until now, like kind of like gradually going up to, you know, to the point that you're here. So, so what troubles you? What, in a, if we were to think about in terms of everything that's going on, we are in the middle of the great change. It is happening. So what, you know, what is, what is, what is your concern, your focus, your attention? What keeps you up at night? Mm. Mm. You know that? has changed a lot in time. And I, I used to be really racked with tons of doubt and fear and anxiety, but I've also been blessed with the other side of the coin of like real experiences of peace and a deep knowing that all of this is happening for a reason. And it's, it's going to be seen as positive in the end just like all of the traumas and layers that made me have to dig in, in the, the basement of my psyche eventually led me to be better place. You know, psychologically, I think that culturally we're going through that now, you know, and that a lot of the structures of the way things are and the way things will be are shifting and changing and crumbling and being distorted. And it's, it's painful and it's scary. And so there's plenty that I think my mind can fixate on and, and focus on that are where, what's going to happen in five years, you know, what's going to happen to blah, 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 blah. And I used to let my mind go out into the world, out into the politics of things and the explanations of things, the religion and the media systems. And I've really returned home in many ways to that. 
and I, I put, I have a very quick and like um, active mind. And it's really been putting some boundary on that and just saying like, live here, live in your body, in your being, focus on what you have the power to change, focus on the not just the positive aspects, but like be grateful for the life that you are. Fill your life with your energy, not letting your mind go out into the world and try to fix the world's problems. Because I got caught up on that path for a long time, you know, thinking about all the ills in the world and how, I, how we could fix them. And there's some beauty in that, but there's also some, some torment. So I've really, you know, I have a, a daughter now who's a, a year and, and a few months old, and she's literally like the light of my life. And I was late to fatherhood. You know, I really waited and made sure I had the right time and that everything was, was that I was mature enough and ready. And it's totally been my experience. And so even just having her in the, in the house, like I feel like my life has a new purpose that is so much more simple. I don't have to go fix the world's problems or obsess about things out there. I have so much beauty and, and gratitude and important love to, to fill my life with right here and right now. So yeah, the bad things always happen. The, the horrors of the world always happen. But for right now, I really am like, just choosing to treasure the things that are beautiful and um, and look at what's not, but try to not let myself obsess about it, you know, and lose my power to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Going back home, coming back within. Mm. What is your vision for humanity's future? Wow. So it's mostly positive in the end. I've, I've um, had some very powerful mm, visions and like um, kind of prophetic experiences that I have um, explored the time, space, and dimensional realms as one totality. So I, I, I think that time is not linear, space is not necessarily spatial and dimensions aren't these clear-cut kind of things they're all one coherent expression and this was what i call my awakening in um, 2000 june 7th 2000 i contacted the one space time and dimensions as one you know this 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 experience that exploded my ego completely and I developed a superego for a while, you know, trying to piece these things together, but it obliterated my concepts of what is real and what is not real and really forced my eyes and my mind open to a real infinite potential. And in that experience, I saw the, the nexus point when the belly button all pulls together at the top of the Taurus and we all return back into unity in the end. Like I, I have no, no one can take that from me. That was the most tangible experience I've ever had was that it's all good. Like there is a benevolent force working with the malevolent force, you know, there's duality, but the dance is all perfectly coordinated. And in the end, we will return and wake from the dream back into an, an ultimate unity. So that I believe behind all things and 
there's there's going to be some shattering of illusions. There's going to be some capsizing of boats. There's going to be some falling of towers. And, um, and you know, there's also like, yeah, I think there's going to be some, some hard and, and lean times ahead as far as um, humans remembering what it really means to live as a community and in unity with each other and with the biosphere. You know, Gaia as one organism, we're like, we're really into our selfish egoic selves. And we're gonna have to kind of get past that and become a bit more tribal, can, you know, like really caring for our family, really connecting and caring for our, our kin and our uh, chosen friends and our, you know, community and the larger purpose. But, um, because we're going to need each other. We really are going to have to work together to serve for the benefit of all beings. And if we can't, I don't know, it's, it, it, there's going to be a transitionary time. And I think it's happening psychologically right now and spiritually, like through the field of consciousness, people are waking up into this kind of hundredth monkey, you know, shivers up the back of your spine, kind of like, whoa, what is that? Like, I'm thinking in new ways, you know, this, this kind of awakening, but at some point, I think that we're going to have to really thrive with that. Like we're going to have to lean upon that and really lean upon our communities. Um, who knows, you know, like the, the sustainability of our way of life right now is um, it's not guaranteed, you know? In, in in America, we've been trained to say like, oh, everything's going to be fine. We can just have all the food and all the comforts and all the securities, but those may not exist in the way that we have uh, come to trust in them. And so, yeah, in the in the end, I think it's all good, but we've got some serious growing pains and some serious humbling um, as a species, I think, in the meantime. So what are you doing right now to contribute to this vision? Mm. Well, um, I've stepped out of my hermit's cave quite a bit. I said yes to you to be on your podcast, to, to speak and to share. Um, part of it has been um, through the Gene Keys. I've, I've chosen to use my voice a lot more to share and to speak from the heart and to share this wisdom. Because for a long time, I was a hermit. And I had my social life. I was a DJ and a musician and whatever. I had a life. But all of this kind of stuff, I, I kept hidden inside. I didn't want to be weird. I didn't want to uh, upset people or disturb them with shamanic visions or whatever <laughs> it may be. But it started to eat away at me. And I started to feel selfish. That, that all of the communion that I had with spirit and with Thoth is one of my guides who I just honor and cherish his wisdom and the power of his intellect. And I need to share that perspective. You know, I need to uh, not bottle it up and go to the grave with a bunch of writings that could be, that could die in a fire. Like I really need to do something with them. I need to not just take them from the ether and then store them in my brain and in my experience, but bring them all the way to earth to, to, to create sacred artifacts, 
to um, bring sacred vibration and to re-sanctify certain things and to really um, not just not just stop halfway, but to really fully bring my heaven down to earth, you know, and really to fully incarnate to, um, you know, to, to share the light that, that I see and I feel. Mm. Sharing the light, absolutely. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So what do you think we can do to inspire unity among the different groups of the awakening movement? Great question. Yeah, I... Great question. You know, for me, um, I think in the West, there's this, been this huge division of mind. It's either black or white. It's either yes or no. It's either science or spirit. And, and it's really penetrated deeply into like the fundamental structure where we see everything as dual. And in some ways, you know, it is, this is a realm of duality. Everything is either a particle or a wave. It's, it's either up or down, but it's actually one thing. And this is, this is the whole nature that I think Taoism and non-dual consciousness bring in is it's all the yin yang. And you may be on this part of the cycle, but in the apex of that part of the cycle is the, is the seed of the other. And that over time it will there is a rise and a fall. There's a day and a night. There's a, an in-breath and an out-breath. They are not separate things. And they are all connected into, into a true unity and expression of, of oneness. However, the manifest world, the 10,000 things really do look separate. There's a winter and a summer. There's a day and a night. Like there's all these different races of people and ideologies. And we can get fixated and lost in the external world's apparent illusions of separateness. But to me, these philosophical understandings are the root to get the mind fried away from the senses, fried away from the all of the madness of the world and to really bring it into the inner space where you can feel that things are unified. And so I, I, I really believe um, one of my pseudonyms is Dr. Consciousness and it's something that's followed me around. And I, I truly believe that there are, that consciousness can heal physical maladies, emotional things, psychosis, um, political fractures, sociological science. Like, I think that, that there is a power of consciousness to reunite things. However, it's really easy to get entrenched into your own BS and to really believe your own truths and your own lies, you know, and not even see them. And so my favorite thing is looking at politics. I love when people start talking about politics because you know, I was, I was raised in one side and they're all looking at the other side and pointing their fingers at how bad the other side is. <laughs> and then there's the other side that's like, no, 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 but it's you guys. And this, this whole binary thing that I'm like, well, there's a right wing and a left wing, but there's one fucking bird. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's one bird and that bird is flying high. The fucking it goes from left to right to left to right, and the war machine rolls on. 
You know what I mean? Businesses are getting richer and richer, no matter if it passes from right to left, like the powers that be in many ways are really going. And so recognizing that unity principle to me pops me out of, wait, is this my team or your team or his team or her team? Like, I'm like, if there is a team, I'm on the side of the benefit of all beings. I'm in a holy, holistic, holographic, I'm holding on to that truth that we are all holons. We are all whole in our own being, but we are all droplets of the whole together. And to me, that's the the holy hologram. That's like to me the the real truth of it all. That it that all of that division, all of that separation is truly an illusion. And the more that we communicate about that, the more that we create art and and really music and transmit the frequency and the concepts of holism and you know because it is a thing of the mind to to wrap the mind around but then once you can taste it and feel it and digest it all of those separate illusions really can be dissolved and you start to see through the illusion and at that point the illusion loses its power this whole game of us versus them and no it's his fault and your fault and you should be afraid of them it's like (laughs) wait a second it's all a big fucking game it's all a play and a ploy for my attention and now i'm just not going to give them that attention i'm going to pay attention to my belly button my heart and the still point in the center of my mind and make sure that those three are communicating and forget all the rest for a while and then once I'm attuned to those bodies of intelligence, sure, look back into the world and, and make sure everyone's doing all right. But coherence of, of the inner world to me is, is uh, yeah, it's an endless cycle. It's like a, a sacred mission of incarnation, you know, seek, seek through the illusion and find who you really are, what you're really about and meet other people from that place, you know, instead of getting triggered by what they say, you just say, oh, that's interesting. Cool. Here's some love. Here's some reflection. Here's some insight. And it it really has softened a lot of those, those fears and divisions that I feel in the world. Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) So what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote? Well, the one that I remind myself the most of is comes from Einstein. And he says, if you can't describe something to a five-year-old, you don't truly understand it. And, you know, that to me is, is the journey that I've kind of um, been on. I, I can think in complex algorithmic holographic multidimensional, you know, like, like, whoa. So like, make sure that you condense it all down to its quintessence and share it as simply as possible so that my, eventually my daughter could understand it, you know, and that, that children can understand it and business people who have no concept of the gene keys or occult knowledge or consciousness can understand it. That my in-laws and my rich uncles and whoever it may be that I'm not just inflaming them with complex structures of knowledge that mean a lot to me but may not mean anything to anyone but by boiling it down and sharing it from the heart 
it, it's digestible, it's tangible, and you can't deny it. The truth, the simple truth speaks for itself. Beautiful, beautiful. The heart speaks for itself, absolutely. Mm. So where can people find you? What are you doing? What, would, what is your call to action? To, what do you want to tell people right now? Well, Thanks. Yeah. So I developed a project in the last couple of years, um, which, you know, I, I became a really deep student of the Gene Keys and it really touched me um, where all of this separate knowledge and all of this uh, channeling and, and spiritual lineages and the I Ching and genetics and sacred geometry and all these patterns really exist in the gene keys and so i became a deep student of the gene keys but in that process i my first contact with any of this kind of information was with the i ching and the i ching is the 4000 year old system taoist knowledge it's a sacred oracular kind of system and these they they believed 4000 years ago that there were 64 fundamental fingerprints of energy combinations of energy that was every that could describe everything that life and the universe does instead of 42 it's 64 you know and they um <laughs> they um you know and, and this was this beautiful system that arose well flash forward 4000 years later and modern science has found that literally the fingerprints that language of life is written in dna and there are 64 letters in that language so these ancient taoist sages nailed it in many ways right on the head that modern science is only you know just now catching up with and so the gene keys is really merging the, these systems of the ancient and the futuristic here in the present. And so what I have done in my own contemplations has to really um, illuminate the connection of each gene key a little deeper into the I Ching. And so I've created a system called Keys of the I Ching that are essentially my own channeling, research, digestion, and transmission of, of really bridging these worlds that are already super bridged. I mean, Richard Rudd has done an unbelievable job. Um, Raw before him with human design. I mean, these are amazing systems that um, I think are really beautiful. But for, for me, connecting the, the gene keys even deeper into these elemental forms of the I Ching really connects it into the lineage of history in a way that... Um, has been really fruitful for me and I've received a lot of feedback that they're helpful contemplations for others. So I'm in the process. I have a website. It's keys of the iching.com. And um, I'm in the process of creating a calendar for this year that will be the 64 elements. So as each one comes up, you can look at this beautiful image of the hexagram and have some of the, my contemplations on them. Um, I'm making an Oracle deck and a, writing a book to accompany that right now. Um, so that's kind of been my like passion project. And, and like I was saying, bringing some of this stuff from the ethers and then turning it into a sacred artifact that can be a companion for, for your journey of contemplation as well. Um, so that's one place I speak weekly on Clubhouse, um, which is a, uh, an audio app um, for cell phones. And there's some crazy stuff on Clubhouse, 
But there's also this really amazing uh, Gene Keys um, club, they call it. And Richard Rudd is on there, Ten Mayo's on there, a bunch of the other ambassadors are on there, Epiphania is on there. Like many people have, have come into that space. And what Gene Keys is creating is this really coherent field of exploration, of community, of open hearted contemplation and sharing. And I just, I'm loving it. And so I do Gene Keys in Parenting, where we kind of contemplate how to take this wisdom and, and transmission into the very real way of being a parent and being a child, you know, and um, the wisdom of how to bring that into that part of our life. And then the Weekly Pulse, which is a um, where we contemplate the Gene Key of the day or the Gene Key of the week, you know, and these, and so we go through and, and, we started um, last year. And so we we're two calls away from having done all of them. And so on my website, you can find a link to literally every room. So if you get your chart through genekeys.com and you're interested in exploring um, what these energies mean and their free contemplations that um, have been really, really beautiful. And then the last would be, I have my own channel and my own room that um, we contemplate gene keys and myth and so it's really bringing alive the mythological and archetypal energies that exist in our psyche and in our shared realms of of storytelling and you know some of these heroes journey kind of contemplations and we've done the dragon and the magician and alchemist and the emperor and last time was the hermit and um the next one will be um, the Empress. And so, um, you know, if, if you're interested in mystery tradition and story and tales and being part of a community, yeah, I welcome you to, to, to find me on Clubhouse as well. Beautiful, beautiful. And we're gonna put all of those links on the description. We have reached the end of our broadcast here. Thank you so much for joining us, Jesse. Uh, any last words you want to say to people before we, and you know, I, I do some announcement and take off? Yeah, well, just a lot of gratitude for you and what you're doing and, and for having me here. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, if there was any sort of message to the whole that I, I would bring, it's like... Um, to find that middle way, you know, and in the middle way is where we really are, you know, and, and um, it's, it's the balance, the delicate balance of the ego. You have to have enough ego to feel confident to do what you need to do, but you must be humble enough to get over yourself and to become of service. You know, you have to use your, your brain and your heart and your spirit and your body you know, and I think that somewhere in between all of these opposites, there is this happy medium and this enlightened middle way that, um, you know, doesn't change you into something that you're not. It's the opposite. It's really coming home to who you really are. And I just hope that um, each person can kind of find and taste the, the deliciousness of that journey of really coming home to their true self and then being able to share that with their loved ones and the world. Thank you so much, Jesse. And uh, the pioneers of the Great Awakening, it's happening, it used to happen every week, now it's happening every now and then. Uh, hopefully we're gonna get to a weekly schedule, we'll see about that. 
If you're going through your dark night of the soul, you want to go to Jorn.tv. That's J-O-U-R-N.tv. That's the homepage of both the podcast, The Pioneers of the Great Awakening, and Planet Homemaking Podcast, where we, every day, we go over all of the jinkies and everything about all of these amazing system. And at the very bottom of that page, there's a menu with five links. There's uh, one that says Jinkies. You can get started with that and understanding what we're talking about here. There's another one called the Pioneers of the Great Awakening. It just says Pioneers. And that leads to a category where you can see all of our sessions with all of these beautiful people. There's, we have an interview there with uh, Richard Rod and Annabelle Vizcarra, all their beautiful um, Gene Keys guides, and we have all the great people there. And if you're going through your dark night of soul, at the very bottom right corner, you want to click on that one. We have a very specific coaching program where we help people move through this darkness that it doesn't have to last 20, 30, 50 years. You can get it, you can get through that just with a change of a habit. And it's a habit that changes a neural net. We have a very specific way of addressing it. And if you're going through that, you can click on that one and learn more about it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time. Bye-bye.